The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. We do want to welcome our online listeners this morning. I want to thank you guys, a lot of you who have been getting excited about our mini-series on the spiritual gifts. And please remember, this is a series underneath a series we are doing on Identity Matters. The series on Identity Matters has 77 messages connected to them. So the topic on gifts comes under the category of the social area of life, the fruit for the social area of life. So there are many of you who have been functioning and the spirit of the living God has been moving through you by using your mind, your will, your emotions, and your body. And a lot of you guys have shared with me, you're just now getting a clear grasp upon what it is in you, beyond Christ in you. Now stay with me on this, guys, because Christ in you, there is more to you than just Christ in you. With Christ in you comes a set of spiritual gifts. So it's not just he wants you to process the fact that he's in you. That is great. And it is the foundation of our faith to understand that Christ actually lives and breathes through you. But he's just not going to sit around the spiritual tree of life and make you feel good every day. He is going to take you through this process of trials and tribulations so that you can get in touch with the third aspect of your identity. First aspect of your identity in regard to the trinity of your identity is how you were birthed into this world with certain characteristics. How many can play the piano without reading a note? Most people can't. How many people have you met that they have this unbelievable mental ability to calculate numbers right on the spot? How many people have you met that have this unbelievable discernment of being able to separate things, whether it is in your garden or whether it is in a human mind? You see, we are born with a certain set of identity according to God's creation and design. Then when we become indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is when we become born again, the old self is taken out of ourselves and crucified with Christ, and the new life in Christ Jesus is put inside of us. Second part of the Trinity of our identity. The third aspect of our identity is the spiritual gifting. Christ is not coming inside you just to kind of hang out around the living tree 
uh, making you feel good through life, he has a calling for you. Thank you, Pastor Bill, for giving me that reminder this past week that it takes all three identity pieces of that verse. God causes all things to work together for the good. One. Two, for those who love Christ. True love is a real question. Three, what is it? Those who are called according to his purpose. Christ wants to use the element of the spiritual gifts within you to accomplish his will. And if you lay down on one of them, here's what he said to me. You will go Laodicean. One. Just pull one piece out of that verse and you'll go lukewarm. So knowing what your calling is, knowing that your spiritual gifting, what it is and how God wants to use it is very, very significant. Because how can you love Him back without using the spiritual gifts inside you? How can you? You think he's going to receive your love when you love him back with self-effort? You think he's going to love you back when you are trying to love him through your own purposes and reasoning for testing God? I'd like to see the man survive the testing of God. God says, I test whom I love. We are not called to test him. When we test him, he neutralizes our efforts. Lukewarm. The Laodicean church is an act of God. Do you understand that? There are seven churches. The church of Laodicean is the one that is birthed in and around America today. Whereas we're trying to shut down the strong preachers. We're trying to shut down the ministries that preach real truth. We're trying to neutralize through emergence. We have denominations or non-denominational churches that are out there that have accepted Chrislam as a part of their Christianity. Really? Allah and God are brothers? Really? There's a significant church just in this particular area of the state who preaches that. God is not a God of multiple gods. He's a single God that supports only himself. So therefore, the singularity of Christ in us is the only thing he's going to support. Now I want to show you something. Please know this. That God works in all of his children... But God pours himself through willing vessels. So if you want to understand the answer to the question about how can there be so many true indwelt Christians in the entire world and they're laying around waiting for people to feed them, preachers to feed them truth, and they don't do anything with it. How can this be that they can be true indwelt believers? And sit around on their keisters waiting for the spirit of the living God to give them some special reason to use the spiritual gifting. 
This is the answer. There are basically like children who are children of parents because they are their children. That can't be denied. There are some children within that family unit who literally obey and live out the words of the parents. That is how the the leaders, the mommy and daddies of those families, get things done to prepare the next generation to get things done. It's how discipleship works. So those are your two type of indwell believers. Those who are constantly spoiling themselves until they are sick. They've heard so much truth. I appreciate my brothers in Africa that I work with because most of them that I hear from do not waste truth like it's too much meat on their platter. If there is extra meat, they they seem to find people to give it away to. That's not what Americans do. We put it in Tupperware and we save it for another day of indulgement. Many Christians do not like the idea of God healing people through them, casting out demons, performing miracles, speaking in tongues, or speaking words directly from God's mouth. Okay, let me ask you a question. Now, Lester, I know how you're going to answer. Your words are actually running through my mind right now as I'm preaching this. But I'm not sure too many Americans understand this. And I know it sounds like I'm always picking on Americans, because I am. I am horrifically offended by the Church of Laodicea. I'm horrifically offended there's denominations all over around us that are adopting this emergent philosophy. But here's what I believe. I believe that God does talk. How many, how many believe that? Just raise your hands. Okay. I believe that Jesus Christ listens to God. How many believe that? I believe that Jesus Christ lives inside a born-again believer. How many believe that? I believe that Jesus Christ lives in a born-again believer through the representation of the Holy Spirit. How many believe that? How many believe that actually the spirit of the living God can use your eyes, your nose, your mouth, your hands to communicate as soon as God opens his mouth? Why is it that we lock up on this final point and the release of that taking place? I believe that every single time I stand up to preach the gospel as my friends reinforced to me this week, there is nothing stopping you. But yet in your localized pain and suffering, you can be stopped in an instant because someone attacks you. I had to answer what's going on in my mortal soul that does that. Well, I'm getting the answer. And that's going to come out as we start preaching, not only in the rest of this message, but in a couple messages to come. There is a reason why the enemy uses local pain to disturb an international or a worldview that is eternal. And it works almost every single time. 
You eat too many donuts and you get lethargic. That's the facts. So let's go on with this. If God actually does speak and Jesus Christ actually receives those words and Jesus Christ speaks them through us, through the Spirit, our mouths start moving. How are we going to stop this woman, this man, this child from speaking God's words? It's a real question. How are we going to stop this? Think like the devil. You say, that's hard to do. You want to make, you want, you want to make things really clear? Until the day you got saved, all you had was the thoughts of the devil. You know exactly how he thinks. And when you battle your flesh against the spirit after you become born again, and your spirit against the flesh, if you want to put that in its proper terms in the Hebrew, it is your mind, which is satanic element mind, battling the mind of Christ in you. And it's the mind of Christ battling the enemy's mind that is not in you. You know exactly how the devil thinks. Now, knowing that, give me some guesses. What would block a woman, child, man, from speaking as God opens his mouth? Insecurity. Insecurity. Fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Lies that you're incompetent. Lies that you're incompetent. I don't suffer from that one. Not knowing your identity or losing sight of it. Because I know it, believe me. But I lose sight of it. God desires to manifest himself through the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit in any way he deems necessary to further his indwelling life, his indwelling mission, his indwelling calling within every born-again Christian. Father, I pray right now you bring some comfort to Marky. I can tell that he is suffering some pain. I just pray, Father God, that the Spirit would bring some supernatural relief to his physical pain in Jesus' name. Amen. God wants to accomplish his mission. Using our spiritual gifts activates the works of the enemy. By releasing the power of Christ in us by way of the spiritual gifts, we disturb the works of the enemy, attempting to place his emphasis on the works of human talents and self-effort. And when a truthsayer begins to speak of these things, the enemy goes, you want to bet? And what the enemy does is he finds the weak links within the body of Christ that actually listen to the mind of Satan. And Satan starts speaking these lies and that person receives these lies and starts experiencing what is classified as confusion. And if you remember from our study of the word confusion in the Hebrew from a couple months ago, it is one of the 13 names of Satan. Confusion. Another one of his names is chaos. 
Another one of his names is adversary. Another one of his names is liar. And it goes on and on and on. So that's how he does it. Then when the lies are spoken, you have a war going against the truth-sayer and the liar. That's how the enemy stops an international, meaning full view of the church, in a localized fashion. He finds weak links within your sphere of influence around you and he speaks those lies into that person's mind so that you're battling something local and there's no way you can focus on eternal weight of glory, which was our verse today. Satan does not want to accomplish eternal weight of glory. And the only thing that builds eternal weight of glory is truth that God does the causing. Truth that it is God's love in you that gives you the privilege to love Him back. Three, it is God's mission inside you. Now you have action. Let's take a look at this in a more detailed fashion. Here is the Hebrew, Zar, which means weapon man. Our enemy is the man with the weapon. So when we break this down into pictorial Hebrew, Zayin, Resh, which is, when I see little cowboy, I think of this Hebrew word picture, because it's not just really a head, it's a red head. A person, the head, the highest. So you put the two of these together, And you get, for some reason, you get weapon man. I happen to be a firm believer the Antichrist is going to have red hair. I have no clue. I have no proof. But I know the enemy, how he functions enough that he's a replicator. He wants to be the highest. He wants to be the man at the top. And he wants everyone to understand he's going to be the man at the top. But he's also going to have a weapon in his hand. And he is going to cut you off from the true works of Christ in you that will produce eternal weight of glory. The weapon man. All he has to do is to get people functioning as czars within the localized pain or conflict which will stop the eternal weight of glory. Giving is our gift we're going to be talking about right now, but I want to show you something. Here is our primary root definition of giving. And if I was to give you an actual, draw out a word picture for you on giving, it is someone who is holding up a fresh glass of water. And they have this supernatural ability to be able to quench the thirst of another. But not only that, they're actually able to pick out who are the thirsty people. To have the spiritual gift of giving 
It's not just someone who is constantly giving and they don't know where their money, time, and effort and spiritual words are being given to. They have this discernment on where to give this drink of water. The other, in the Greek, of understanding uh, giving, and that is someone who is actually has this supernatural ability to forgive someone. Forgiving is giving to someone before they have a chance to give to you. That's not how we Westerners think of the definition of giving. Us Westerners think of the spiritual gift of giving as money. Thus, the enemy comes in and says, if you just do your diligence on tithing, you're covered. Boy, is that a lie. Because all we're doing is activating the greatest deception in the world today, and that is based on money, cash, economy, which is about to be taken from us. But that's the problems that start coming with the spiritual gift of giving. So a non-yielded giver is going to use the Lord's portion for selfish gain. Give to get. Needing to be noticed. Ungrateful for the dry times. Drinks from the 10% or causes others to feel guilty for not giving. When you hear a supposed indwelt Christian... Wanting something back because of their investment. I'll put myself on the front line as the example. I wanted something back. I wanted loyalty, faithfulness to die for, all these kinds of things. That was pure selfishness, and that was pointed out to me this week. If he has no ability to give those things because he's searching, then it needs to be accepted as such. It deactivates the giving of Christ in me. Do you understand that? To expect something back, it deactivates Christ. He does not move forward in self-effort. He won't do it. He will lay silent and dormant in your life. The other gift we're going to be talking about coming up here is mercy. Mercy and giving oftentimes do go together in a believer. But when we look at the definition of giver, here's what we have. The gift of giving is a supernatural gift of, that God gives to contribute material and relational resources to the work of the Lord freely and cheerfully. This gift is not limited to money and possessions. It is best described as a person who gives of themselves and everything they have to further the work of the Lord. Purpose. God has called each of his children to give of all of their resources. The giver has a supernatural ability to tune into the needs of the body of Christ. Many other body members must be told what the needs are, whereas with the giver, they're the ones you go to to find out what the needs are. So for a pastoral team to understand who has this spiritual gift of giving, that's who you'd go to because their antennas are up and they're constantly watching for 
the spiritual, psychological, and physical needs of the body of Christ. If that person is not granting the leadership evidence that they're watching for the spiritual, psychological, and physical needs of the body, they are classified as a selfish giver. That's how we know. Characteristics. Givers have a strong tendency to be seriously concerned about financial matters. People with this gift seem to have a special ability to get things as well. They have this like resource, this ability. I mean, to put them in charge of a ministry garage sale would be very wise. Because, see, there's always looking at the neighborhood of, for resources to advance the gospel. They're always, you see what I mean? So that's the person you go to to be a part of the prayer team or the leadership team for advancing the church in material financial development. Givers are typically sensitive to how much they spend. They have the ability to manage a budget Stay within it over a long period of time. Making money is easy for many of this with with this gift, although this is not always true. Here's our liabilities for the giver. Number one, in walking after the flesh, the giver can give more than God is asking them to give, putting their personal responsibilities in jeopardy. Can you overgive God? I asked this of a couple African guys this past week, since the one that was coming up, and I got a, a typical response that may not be so typical for Americans, but no, they they believe you can't outgive God. Do you know how secular that question is? Outgive God? But see, certain branches of the church have been trained to name it and claim it. Certain churches, branches of the church has claimed this whole thing about prosperity doctrine. That's where this is birthed. These leaders would prefer their people to suffer in hardship as long as the cash kept going into the offering going around. That's why we won't pass an offering. So whether our offering is an average of five bucks a week or 50 bucks a week or 100 bucks a week, whatever the case may be, that is what we believe as a localized fellowship, and that is that's God's business. But if the givers in the body are not doing their job and scanning the horizon, we're in trouble. First thing out of Mary's mouth, we know that Mary has this spiritual gift. Anyone who knows her knows this. When we were doing our deacon interviews, one of the, I think it was the first question out of Mary's mouth was, do you remember it, Mary? Who's going to pay? Who's going to pay the pastor? You see what I mean? Because see, the dynamic here, I want to I illustrate this thing for you. That here's the truth of this dynamic of this spiritual gift. 
Janie and I can't live off of $5 a week. But we're not going to speak of it. The givers are always aware of that. You see what I mean? So making a decision to become a localized church had a financial price tag directly connected to her question. That is how it works. If you put all the spiritual gifts together, even in a small gathering of, of people, you'll have growth. But if people are laying around being indulged by truth, you're not going to have the growth because no one's doing the work of service but the pastor. He's making the coffee, he's setting up this, he's doing that, he's whatever. It's constantly pulling it into that problem. And it works. Satan knows it works. And the way he gets that accomplished is not to have people understand the liabilities of their spiritual gifts. Two, the giver can become a perfectionist, judgmental of those who are unwise in finances. Is this true, Mary? (laughs) It is true. But you know what we do is we battle this. So my temptation would be to start judging Mary because she's a bit judgmental about all these external things. And the battle becomes localized. I'm giving you fresh lessons that have been given to me this week. We start localizing the battle between Mary and I. And I start being critical and harsh with her because of her gifting. And the enemy's laughing. Because it works. They're overly sensitive about others' giving. They manipulate, they can become manipulative, thinking all Christians should be as wise as they are in finances. And the truth being said, no, we're not wise like them. Wisdom and portion of wisdom, as the scriptures say, are always dished out according to your spiritual gifts. Prophets have to have the enormous amount of wisdom, whereas a lot of mercy people and givers have a whole different kind of wisdom given to them. Wisdom being mind of Christ. The giver has, number three, the giver has little time for people. They would prefer to cut a check, give the check, and go on with their lives. That is the greatest temptation and vulnerability of a giver. They just say, I gave, I took care of them, what would you do with my money? Remember that story I told you, the guy that I was ministering to, and he slides this check in front of me? $10,000 for that session. Remember that, honey? In Denver? I thought it was a check for a typical session I would do of, you know, 250 bucks or somewhere around there or whatever. And, and so, you know, I slide the check closer to me, and I see that it's $10,000, But see, here's the thing that he said that got me. As he's sliding the check across his desk, he says, now take care of my family. So I slide the check toward me and see that it's $10,000. I turn the check around. I slide the check back to him. I said, from this day on, all of your sessions are without donation. Why would that be a wise thing to do? I mean, $10,000 for someone who lives on missionary support could have cared for us for quite a while. He was trying to buy you to do his job. 
He ended up in prison within one year. See, that was not a test on him because he was an emergent believer. It was a test on me. And that act of turning the check around and sliding the check back was me responding to the wisdom of God to let this man go. He will destroy you. And he was in prison within a year. The giver has little time for people who are not going to support their level of wisdom. So they're going to be choosy as to who they let into their sphere of influence, their circle, who are wise like them. Who care for their money as well as they do. Number four, the giver needs to be more flexible and patient, take more risks, be more understanding with the irresponsible, and be for dash giving of those who take advantage of them. Manifestation gifts. Let's take a look at these. These manifestations are not to be thought of as residing gifts. Residing gifts are what I've been calling occupational gifts. So let's illustrate this very quickly. Someone who has the spiritual gift of teaching, who is dead as a doorknob, what are they going to do to earn money in life? Exactly. School teacher, university teacher, uh, corporate teacher, online teacher. They write books, textbooks. There's plenty of them in the world. Okay, let's take a leader. A leader who is spiritually dead, they have not become born again yet, how is the leader going to look in the world? President of the United States, Chancellor of the UN, a mayor of a city. You can literally sit on the leadership of a church and be going to hell. It's true. So, it doesn't mean that because you have an occupational gift, that gift has been activated by the Holy Spirit. Now, the manifestation gifts are different. There are eight occupational gifts. We just finished those up. Now we're going into the manifestation gifts. Please, listeners who are in other parts of the world outside of this little town... Understand this. God does not put the manifestation and residing gifts or occupational gifts into one bucket. There are gifts given for profession of faith. It's what you do for a living for faith. Then there are manifestation gifts that the Spirit uses at any moment, the Spirit decides to do it. So every manifestation gift we speak of from this day forward, it's going to take us a while to get through them, are for all of you. So you have to understand that. Manifestation gifts are used on the spur of the moment by the Holy Spirit in you at any time God the Father commands the Spirit to move through that believer. So these manifestations are not to be thought of as residing gifts, gifts that stay 
uh, with you for 24 hours, seven days a week for the rest of your life, for eternity actually. Manifestation gifts are the inward and outward signs of the Holy Spirit dwelling, dwelling up in the believer to do the powerful and the mighty work of God. These manifestations belong to God. They are God's personal tools in the Holy Spirit to do his work to service in and through the believer. If I had a, I'll just use my favorite tool out of my toolbox, vice grips. You can accomplish a lot with vice grips. And that's my preferred tool. I can use it as a hammer. I can loosen pipes. I can, you know, use it to hold things. I mean, that is a nice, flexible tool for me. That tool is this occupational gift that is inside you. Unless someone touches it, unless power goes through this hand and reaches down and grabs that tool and uses that tool for its intended purpose, that's worthless. The manifestations inside you is the power element that rushes through you to use that spiritual gift, occupational, residing gift, one that stays 24 hours a day, to do the work. So when you watch an evangelist, he's either going to use the tricks of the trade to make money, or he'll be empowered by God. That empowerment by God is the manifestation gifts. That's what I want you to see. These manifestations are delivered by the sovereign hand of God. No other. No technique. No going to school for it. All Christians receive manifestations. The more willing the Christian, the more manifestations are going to be manifested through them. The less willing the person is, the less you'll see it. But here's the stupid things that humans do. And I use the term stupid like Isaiah does. Stupid shepherds. They analyze according to the level of willingness. And they rewrite the doctrines because it's what they see happening in the body of Christ. This doesn't change God's doctrines. If you have a less willing person sitting around the tree saying, indulge me, it's all about me, it's about my insecurities, it's about whatever, then stay under the tree and indulge and become fat off of the gospel. That's facts. The majority of the Christian world thinks like that. Feed me, feed me, it's me, it's me, it's me. And in the meantime, they write statements back to Christ saying, Christ is motivating me to do this. Christ is leading me to do this. And I don't know your Christ. I don't know him. Because that's not the way he functions. He will manifest the same way in every believer to accomplish one singular mission. If the Holy Spirit had its way, it would be a similar message throughout the entire world. 
Not people preaching on prosperity doctrine, not some preaching on, you know, getting your favorite cars and your this and your that and whatever. It's none of that. It's Christ's goal. And he wants to accomplish the mission of his Father. This is why it appears that God is picking favorites. God is not picking favorite vessels. He simply is picking willing vessels. And what we have the tendency to do is to turn around and judge God because he's using certain believers and not others. Well, let's just pretend that you're God for a reason. For a moment. And a reason. Would you take the purity of who you are and mix it in with selfishness? Seriously, it's a serious question. Would you? You're supposed to say yes, because that's what most people do. They actually won't come out and say those words because it's too embarrassing. But they live out their lives saying, I require you, God, to take your holy manifestations and use it within my self-proclaimed doctrines so I can call it Christ said so. Now, I know there's prosperity listeners out there right now, and I'm in contact with you on a fairly regular basis, at least those within our little Sophia with our little ministry, and I know you struggle with this. You are signing Christ's name to these checks to things that Christ himself says, I don't know you. Be gone from me. Leave me alone. I don't know you. He said, Christ would never treat any human like that. You're not reading your Bible. 90% of every human ever born is going where? To hell. And you know what? We think we have the right to blame God, to judge God, because that's the truth. Do you understand that when you walk out of this room today, he knows the very people that are going to forget it before they have their roast dinner. You're going to forget everything you just heard. It will not be motivating to you. It will not get you off your keister. It will not walk you into your mission. It will be delayed because of the teacher you heard it from was offensive to you. That's what's going to happen in churches all over the world today. More people will fall asleep at the gospel. More people will go lackadaisy because they're tired of the truth-sayers. They don't know what to do with it. If you don't know what to do with something, you go lazy. Manifestation gifts are at the disposal of the Holy Spirit, not the believer, whereas occupational gifts are at the disposal of the believer and are expected to be used 24 hours a day. When do we see these manifestations? God, When God chooses is basically the answer. A place where we see God manifest consistently is in worship. Occasionally, I like to just turn around and see what kind of worship is occurring 
When there is music, muse, Hebrew, spirit guide. Music means spirit guide. Muzak is that the spirit is supposed to be leading you to the throne of God. So the throne of God is where you're to experience the ultimate intimacy as a believer. And that's why you see typically a lot of manifestations when it comes to worship. Satan is the great deceiver. He loves duplication of of the work of God. Since he cannot create or invent something of his own, he steals from God and signs his own name to it, trying to deceive others into believing he created it. And this is the sole purpose of vain self-glory. He uses his manifestation to bring division, and God uses his manifestation to bring unity. So therefore, when you see division, you know that Christ is not a part of it. When you see the manifestation gifts bringing division and fear, be assured that Satan is at work pretending, duplicating, and stealing for the glory of God. And finally, here are a few things to keep in mind when watching for true manifestations. One, it's fruit, Galatians 5. Two, it's character, Matthew 5. Submission, Ephesians 5. And then the presence of God. Using these guidelines, if a person is claiming a manifestation and the fruit of the Spirit, which is all the fruit, and if that's not present, the question needs to be asked, is this God? Then finally, when the study, when studying the manifestation passage, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11, online listeners, please, I plead of you, send me those emails about questions you might have about the difference between manifestation gifts and residential or occupational gifts. Again, that scripture for the online listeners is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. I'd be more than happy to chat with you about helping you understand the differences. So, in looking at these scriptures, you can notice the number of times God mentions the terms same Spirit, same Lord, same God. God is stressing the importance of unity in the manifestations of the Spirit. You will never, you will never, ever hear Christ say one thing to one person and another indwelt believer another thing. You will never, ever have that. So one is of and in Christ Jesus hearing Christ and the other one is not. Plain and simple. To think that we have a multiple Christ running around saying different things in the different minds and everyone's proclaiming, I heard God, the Lord tell me, whatever. No wonder the body of Christ is confused. Who do we listen to? True sayers should be put out in the forefront internationally all over the world. But the enemy has developed schemes and wicked places of darkness to stop that from occurring, usually through localized fighting. Father, we thank you for the blessed privilege of hearing your truth. And next week, Father God, as we finish this whole explanation on your manifestations through the Holy Spirit inside of us, 
I pray, Father God, that the online listeners would come back and grab that podcast to get the rest of the story. And Father, all of us would wrap our arms around what you, through the Holy Word, are truly saying in regard to the gifts. Anyone who is, Father, challenged by this sermon or this message of truth this morning, who are buying into this prosperity doctrine, who are buying into turning Jesus into some kind of wealthy person who is comfortable driving around, walking around, or living in the wealth of mankind. Show them the truth, Father, of who Christ really is in and through each of us who are in wealth. This we pray in Jesus' name. This resource has been presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. For more information about our ministries, visit us online at IOMAmerica.org. That's IOMAmerica.org.